You're listening to the Teaching Matters podcast, brought to you by the University of Edinburgh and part of the Teaching Matters blog. Teaching Matters brings together students and staff in conversation, debate, and celebration of learning and teaching in higher education. Feel free to share your comments with us, either directly on the blog or email us at teachingmatters at ed.ac.uk. You can listen and subscribe to the Teaching Matters podcast at Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and music is provided by Hook Sounds. This episode of the Teaching Matters podcast accompanies our March to April 2021 series on internationalization, curated by Dr. Labake Fakonle as guest editor. Dr. Fakonle is a Chancellor's Fellow at the University of Edinburgh and coordinator of the MSE Education General Pathway at Murray House School of Education and Sport. In this episode, she talks to Dr. Shari Sabeti, a reader in arts and humanities education at Murray House. They discuss the hidden narratives of international academic collaboration projects, what it takes to balance the doing and the managing of research, and what gets left behind in order for the publications, conference presentations, and institutional data to happen. We hope you enjoy this important, practical, entertaining, and very human conversation that normalizes the messiness of international collaboration projects. Shari, it's so lovely to have you, you know, having this conversation with you about your experience. And as you know, my name is Labake Fakonle and editor of the Teaching Matters blog post on internationalizing the curriculum as well as learning and teaching. And we're just delighted because you're presenting a different aspect in terms of international collaborations, which is obviously a very, very important aspect of internationalization. Thank you, Labaki, and thanks for asking me to do this. My research focuses on arts education, museum education, cultural heritage, aspects of the relationship between culture and pedagogy and also um, culture and cultural heritage in the curriculum. I take an anthropological approach to issues in education and my research methodologies focus around ethnography and some arts-based research methods as well. So the project that I'm talking about today was based in the Marshall Islands, which are islands in the North Pacific Ocean, and they were part of a GCRF-funded project that began in 2016, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. That was the start date of the project. Could you just tell us briefly, you know, the aims of this international collaborative project? So um, before I do that, I should probably say that I was a co-investigator on this project, and the principal investigator was... Professor Michelle Kewen, who is in the English Literature Department uh, at the University of Edinburgh. The project was one of the ESRC, AHRC forced displacement grants. And um, our project focused on the unique experience of displacement for, for Marshallese people. So the Marshall Islands were the site of nuclear testing in the post-war period. And the, the sort of legacy of that nuclear testing has been large amounts of displacement, both internally within the Marshall Islands and externally as well, with Marshall Islanders migrating to the West Coast or specifically to Hawaii, actually the Hawaiian Islands, part of the United States of America. 
the project focused on exploring particularly children's experiences of displacement. So both within the Marshall Islands and abroad, and it used arts education practice as one of the methodological approaches to exploring displacement, because we were very careful with that we didn't want to use traditional social science research methodologies when we were working with children. Mm. So the project scope was not just kind of contextualized in an international context, but it was also working with collaborating with people from other universities, from uh, both from Marshall Islands, somebody from university in New Zealand, and also with arts education practitioners as well. So it wasn't just uh, an academic collaborative project. In terms of what was it like working on this, you know, project with internal as well as external collaborators, and apparently you did not just have academic collaborators, but also practitioners. Yeah, so um, that we had two university partners, I think. We were, we were working with the University of the South Pacific, which has its main campus in, in Suva in Fiji, but also has a campus in the Marshall Islands where we were working. And um, one of our um, project collaborators, one of the other investigators was a public health specialist based at the at University of Waikato in, in New Zealand. There was a kind of health and well-being dimension related to the arts education as well, and also related to the nuclear legacy and the kind of history of chronic diseases and uh, sort of cancers and and um, thyroid problems that Marshallese people have experienced since the since the nuclear testing. So yes, we worked with we actually worked with three in the first phase of the project. We worked with three artists. One of them was a Marshallese performance poet called Kathy Jetnell Kitchener. We worked with a Hawaiian sort of mural artist called Solomon Enos. And we also worked with a Canadian photographer called Christine Germano. We also had as a project partner two other academics from UK universities, Sarah Penryn Jones and um, Alex Plows. They, uh, Sarah is also a filmmaker, so there was a filmmaking element to the project. In terms of um, the experience of it, well, it was it was incredibly exciting to be working with a lot of these people. I didn't know many of them beforehand. Um, I knew Michelle, obviously, but I didn't know the others. And in fact, Michelle didn't know some, some of the others before we started working on that project. So I think she had just networked and got in touch with people. So it was it was um, it was very exciting. It was very messy in, in many ways. There was a lot of different people involved in it. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of partners. Um, there was a lot of kind of crossed wires, a lot of different understandings of what we were doing. So in that sense, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was you know, you, you were always, you had to be on your toes all the time. You were always trying to work out if everybody had the same understanding of, of what was going on. And of course, in practice, quite often, uh, we didn't have the same understanding of what was what we were doing or what was happening. So, um, it, you know, I, I think I think we've all learned a lot um, through the experience. But yeah, I'd say it was messy. That is an interesting mess, I must say, because when you think about international collaborations and you're just telling us about this apparently wonderful project, but also acknowledging, you know, the messiness of making this happen. And I think this is a story that is not get told so often 
because what we hear most of the times is about how many, you know, in terms of internationalization strategies, we hear how many collaborations the university is involved in. We know how many ac uh, academics are involved or even practitioners. We are also very acutely aware of the indices in terms of the number of um, universities involved, you know, the number of countries involved. What is missing mostly is your you know, personal experience, the experiences of the academics, practitioners involved, telling us about the messiness of this whole international collaborative thing and how, frankly, we need to embrace this messiness if we're going to get anything done eventually, because you're talking about, you know, your learning experience. But I would like you to just share with us a bit, how did you overcome these challenges? God, that's a good question. How did we? Well, I, we, it was, it was quite an interesting project because for some, I mean, as an accident, in, in a kind of purely accidental sense, um, we were an all female project team. Um, and uh, I mean, the one, you know, one of the artists we worked with, you know, was a, was a man, but otherwise I did feel quite sorry for him on occasion because he was stuck in this, um, we were all in the same house. I mean, it was it was actually, you know, in reality, a quite a crazy experience. The whole time we were in the Marshall Islands, all of us were living in the same relatively small space. The artist was sleeping on a mattress on a floor outside all the bedrooms. All the women were kind of crushed together in the bedrooms. I was ha literally sharing a bed with the, the researcher from New Zealand who I had never met before. We became very good friends. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was... I think it, it, the reality of it all and, you know, you budget things and you plan things and everything looks sounds really great. And then you get there and actually, you know, we didn't have enough money to, to have two, um, you know, two, two flats. We were all in one flat. Somebody had to go upstairs and sleep with one of the neighbours upstairs. And it was all it was this sort of stuff was going on all the time. You know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said, you know, there weren't a lot of tensions. There were tensions. You know, we had tensions about you know, the air conditioning, I didn't really like it. Christine loved the air conditioning. She would, she, she stole the air conditioning control unit so that I couldn't turn it off. We were all away from, I think we were all just being away from home. It was a long way away, the Marshall Islands, you know, it's sort of, um, there's a, a 12 hour time difference. It's, it is a long way to go from home. It takes, you know, a couple of days to get there. And in order to get the projects done, we had to be away from our homes for quite a long period of time. And many of us had left, you know, relatively small children at home. So I think that was really hard. And that that aspect just doesn't get talked about. So, I mean, I've done lo lots of um, events where we have presented the research and it all looks fabulous because we worked with artists and there's lots of, you know, we've, there was poems, there was murals, there's photographic exhibitions, all looks fantastic. But I think I think the fact that, you know, over a period of sort of two or three years and working on this project and, and the one that came after it, I probably spent at least two to three months away from, you know, my children. I think those sorts of things you get, they, that was a challenge. Um, it sort of often gets hidden, I think. But I wouldn't, I, I don't regret it in any way. I think it was a fantastic experience to, to, to kind of be, be there. Other challenges, I guess, were just 
misunderstandings between universities um, and the way that universities do things. I think for the GCRF, we had to do these due diligence agreements and the, the people we were working with at USP got terribly offended that we were even asking them to fill out these forms. I mean, the, I, I guess pe people will be able to kind of, um, other, others who've worked in, in international contexts will have similar stories about just different kind of cultures in universities. The speed at which we're used to doing things over here is not not the same as the, the speed with which people do things in the Marshall Islands. So that that presented various challenges, you know, things just didn't get done. Things didn't get done over email very easily. Um, so sometimes you'd have to kind of literally go there and if physically intercept people to get to get various things done. That was particularly the case for me on our on the sort of the follow-up project, we, we subsequently got an AHRC follow-on funding grant and part of it was that I was developing some um, curriculum resources but I needed to speak to people in the Ministry of Education in the Marshall Islands and however much I emailed them, nobody replied. And so I there's one coffee shop in the capital, literally one coffee shop, and I, and I ended up just going and sitting in the coffee shop because I knew that the people I needed to speak to would at some point go to the coffee shop to buy a coffee and then I could you know get hold of them yeah so things things like that I think and then when you come back over here it's quite hard to try and explain that that's the kind of context where you need you know you can't just send an email and people don't reply to your emails and you know it, you don't get things done unless you're actually physically there so um this last year with COVID and everything has been really difficult because it's been really hard to sustain those relationships or to, to kind of follow through with some of the things that we'd started um, doing. I'm honestly fascinated, you know, as you were speaking, guess what was running through my mind? We should actually have something like a TV series, hidden narratives of academic researchers in international collaboration projects I can just, I could just visualize, you know, your colleague running away with the remote. I wish you had a picture of that. <laughs> that would have been awesome. And, you know, when you talk about the parental responsibilities, what gets left behind in our quest to make this work, and you know how you've presented this polished image of this very successful project, but then there are all these hidden narratives that without it, the project would never have seen the light of the day. And we need to talk about this. And I'm honestly delighted, you know, to have this amazing opportunity to discuss with you and for you to share this and for us to be able to share it with our audience. In the first instance, we have, you know, ECRs who are dreaming of getting international collaboration projects going. They think it's a walk in the park, you know, because all they see is the output and maybe they will not be prepared, you know, for these challenges that a more experienced researcher like yourself is describing to us. I really think this should be documented, you know. I know there is a paper I shared with my students uh, that they talked a bit about this. You, you know, and they talk more about the language issues and some of the things you've talked about. But really, when you talk about the pace, you know, the response time, the dispositions of people that your partners, especially when you're working, you know, global north, 
Global South and how you're managing that terrain. I just think it's incredible. But what I love about your response again is how you talk about the innovative way, you know, that you try to address these challenges, like going to the coffee shop. And it's almost like a James Bond thing you did there, you know, just waiting <laughs> for them to come in and then you can capture them. Who would have thought, you know? And, 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 and I think that is really lovely. But do you want to speak a bit more about the maybe personal development journey as well for you as a researcher and a mentor? I was a I I was in in the, in the rather nice position of being the the co-investigator on this particular grant and and you know Michelle Kewen did pretty much all of the legwork and putting the grant together and and um you know getting in touch with people and setting things up. I. I I kind of what I mean, you know, things were messy inevitably because it was very ambitious and very complicated. And as well as working with artists and, you know, artists, personalities and artists, understandings of what they were doing. We were also working with schools, you know, we we're working across school sites and, and um, those were those are complicated places to work in for a variety of reasons. Mm. And I coming from education and also having been a a school teacher myself I suppose I had a certain understanding of what you know those contexts might be like so I was able to to kind of bring that to it but I was also able to observe from the comfortable position of the co-investigator what an incredibly complicated and difficult thing this was to manage um, for Michelle and you know that people did people did fall out with each other I mean absolutely People had tantrums. I had. A, I remember having an, an enormous tantrum myself about what, what I exactly can't remember, but I I just lost it. And I think that happens. That you uh, one of the, one of the things that I think I learned the second time I went away for a long period of time is that I have about a sort of three week threshold of of kind of being terribly polite and civil and being away from home and being with you know people I don't know very well, and then I lose it. And then I pull myself together and I get on with, with the next sort of three weeks. So I think you do, you know, you do learn things like that about yourself. And especially when you're kind of, you know, at my time of life where I'm sort of, you know, in my 40s and I've had children and I don't spend long periods of time away from home anymore like I used to when I was younger. So you kind of rediscover, <laughs> rediscover your own kind of thresholds and limits and I think I think one important sort of takeaway for me was the importance of I mean it's such a huge management task it's not a question of just managing budgets it's it's about managing people and and often people who are very different from you and have very different understandings of what we're all doing together that that constitutes this project but also I suppose with from an academic perspective people's understanding of what research is and what the research process is, is quite different. So, I mean, Michelle is in a literature department. She, does she Her normal research process is very different from the social science kind of research process. And I, I guess because I, my background was also, I mean, I did my PhD in English literature and went into education afterwards. So I kind of had, was in, again in this position where I understood you know, what it was like if you're an arts and humanities researcher, but also what it's like when you're a social science researcher and how those understandings of research clash occasionally. But also how the artists understood what they were doing in a very different way from how the academics understood what what they were doing. 
So for me, in terms of the research that I do, it was a very interesting and really informative project because because I suppose because my research has focused around arts, arts education, I've worked quite a lot with artists, you know, done done a lot of interviews with artists to try and understand their creative processes and what they think that they're doing. And in the end, I think I ended up really being a bit of an ethnographer of the project as a whole. So as well as kind of being the person that supported with the education and the kind of methodological approaches that we took, I did end up taking a step back and just looking at the whole thing as a project and and thinking about, you know, what's happening here? (laughs) You know, what is this? Why is it messy? Why is it actually so difficult? Uh, And now, before before we started this interview, I was looking at the research questions and I thought, actually, do you know what? We've done pretty well. (laughs) I I have answers to those research questions now. But it didn't feel like at the time. It didn't feel like we we, we really knew what we were doing because there was just so many people involved. And um, yeah, so all all credit to to Michelle for for sort of putting the whole thing together and and for doing her absolute best to sort of manage all these very very different kinds of people, lots of academics and artists, a lot of egos flying around as well. So yeah, it was it was it was hard. So I think that's what my my takeaway from it would be: um, don't underestimate the difficulties. Uh, the practical difficulties and the relationship difficulties of managing projects of this size across different sectors and across kind of international time zones and barriers and um, and also don't underestimate the kind of personal pressures that doing these sorts of things put you under you know being away from home putting your other half under a a huge amount of pressure (laughs) yeah I think all of those things do get hidden when you show people beautiful photos of the murals that you made or, you know, churn out your articles or whatever it is. I think all of that kind of tension and uh, difficult relationships and things get get buried. And I'm delighted that we are unearthing some of these things that are buried because this is so important. It's like going through a burden process if i can use that as a female you know what i'm talking about we're both mothers as well in the academy and you know when you've gone through that process you know it wasn't pleasant it was mercy but when you hold that baby in your hands you're kind of like yeah what was that but you need to know that something happened before this was created you know and and one other thing because you talk on the side of you know the personal you know implication the challenges and all of that research process i think we cannot remove from all of this the role of the institution because definitely it's a good thing for the institution to foster this interdisciplinary and international collaborations but at the same time we need to speak as well about the responsibility you know of the institution to support those who are involved in these international collaborations. And I'm not saying they don't, they give you time off, you know, you get the the funding, you know, the support, the name, but these kind of intangibles that you can't really document, you know, the way somebody made you feel, I know it's still a difficult thing to kind of put in a box, 
But when we're talking about it, maybe even with the artist, maybe we can find a way around it. I, I don't know right now. I don't have answers for that. But it's just a thought that we should unhurt this more so that the people that we're working with, for example, I can imagine some of your colleagues. I wouldn't say I was one of them. Please don't ask. But imagining that, gosh, Shari gets to go to the Marshall Islands. She's drinking coconut juice and, you know, suntanning on the lovely beaches and, you know, all those kind of wild imaginations about this exotic location. But you're talking about the sweats, you know, and all the all that comes with that and all this very unglamorous image that, you know, I'm just seeing two fully grown women chasing each other over. I still can't get that, you know, air conditioner remote out of my head. So this is the reality of what we do. This is actually the reality of international collaborations. And this is the reality that we need to bring out there, which we're doing hopefully with this podcast and hopefully maybe more people will be willing to come and share their own experience of international collaborations. And it can be something we can talk about as well as in interdisciplinary research and research outside of the university. And honestly, this is so rich. I must say, Shari, this is way richer beyond, you know, what I even imagined. And I'm learning so much from this. And something even popped to my mind. Labake, be careful what you wish for when you're bidding for that next international collaborative project. But knowing about your experience makes me feel a bit more prepared and maybe not too disappointed, you know, if things don't go the way it should go. I think it's about normalizing the messiness. And if we can normalize the messiness, that this is part of what international collaborations are. We don't then just, you know, glamorize the, the exoticness of having different cultures and, and all of that. So thank you honestly so much, Shari, not just for, you know, the inclusion in the podcast, but for me personally, as a researcher, I've learned so much from this. I think as academics, we're, we like to control things a lot. I know I do. And I think it depends what kind of academic you are as well, especially if you have, like me, my background was in arts and humanities, and I suppose in education, I still kind of tend to do a lot of things on my own. But, you know, the minute you've got other people involved, you, you begin to lose control over what happens. And I think a, a big message that I would give, I would have given to myself was just to let that, you know, just inevitable, it's inevitable, just let it happen. Clear lines of communication, clear ability to delegate to people and then to just let it go and not feel that you have to control everything and that you, yeah, so I, th I think a, a, lo a lot of it is things like that. Just be prepared for challenges that you won't even have kind of considered, I suppose, um, because certainly things came up. I mean, you just don't know how you're going to react in situations that you're not used to being in as well. I guess the more and more of these things you do, the, the more experienced you get. I suppose it's also made me reflect on where the balance between doing research and managing research 
tips the wrong way for me, you know. So to what extent, I think more and more now getting larger grants, you end up managing other people doing the research rather than, you know, carrying out the research yourself. And I think because the because of the kind of research I do, which is largely ethnographic, which is about me being the researcher, I think I would want to think carefully about, you know, I suppose, you know, get, getting the balance right in terms of how much kind of bureaucratic management and management of relationships you're doing and how much research you're actually doing. And yeah, so thinking about grants, different kinds of grants, maybe at different moments are suitable or not suitable. An excellent way to end. Thank you so much, Shari. Okay, thank you.